Are you ready to become toxic person proof? Hey guys, Sarah K. Ramsey here to help you find love and success after a toxic relationship so you can design a life you're actually excited about living. Hello, wonderful. It is Sarah K. Ramsey, and I'm here with Tiffany Toombs. Hello, Tiffany. Hello. Now, this is our round two. And if you did not check out round one, check it out. Uh, We talked about self-sabotage, but also why things don't work out. If you're someone who's like, oh, I can't figure out why this isn't working out for me, or, oh, I just really want a new relationship to work out, or this other job, and it just always seems to be never work out definitely check that out. Tiffany is a NLP hypnosis coach and trainer, and she helps people step out of self-sabotage and limiting beliefs and step into their power, purpose, and potential. Hey, Tiffany, how are you? Great. I'm excited to be here again. Oh, thank you so much. So, whoa, we just had such a whirlwind in the last conversation. I was like, oh, we're running out of time. I'm so glad she's coming on again because we talked um, chemicals in your body. Do you want to do a real quick recap on um, self-sabotage and how our body memorizes difficult or negative states? Yeah. So I think the most important aspects of, I mean, it was all important, but the, the key takeaways were every time you have a thought that releases a chemical or a hormone in your body, which creates an emotion. And then that creates more of the same thoughts. So it's very easy to get stuck in a loop of a specific emotion. And for human beings, it tends to be negative stress-filled uh, survival mode thoughts and feelings that we get stuck in. And so how do we then shift out of that? Because that becomes addicted. Our body cells start to expect those increased level of hormones. And so we talked about finding a way to release endorphins. So celebrating your wins, experiencing gratitude, connecting with other people so that we can shut off that negative circuit that's happening and shift into one of gratitude and positivity. And you used an example that I loved so much last time, which when we think about an addiction to alcohol, right? At first, one beer is enough, but then eventually two beers, then three beers to reach the same emotional state, which becomes, you know, slightly drunk or very drunk becomes the new normal, right? And you Mm -hmm. talked about our addictions the same way. I thought it was so well explained. And the, that process of, oh, okay, you know, that drama hit, the hit of thinking about my ex, the hit of being really angry at my mother, the hit of whatever. At first, it's only one hit of being angry at my mother, one hit of stalking my ex on social media, one hit of whatever. But then the next day you need two hits and then eventually you need three hits. And then you need four hits and our bodies memorize that emotional state, which really explains why when people say, oh, I feel addicted to, you'll hear people, oh, they're addicted to drama. Oh, I'm addicted to my ex. Oh, I'm addicted to anger. And it's a real thing. And this explains why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when we start to break that cycle, self-sabotage happens and it brings us right back into it because we are used to, our body cells are used to that one beer, that two beer. And so we need to be aware that that's going to happen as we're going through the healing journey so that we can can firstly recognize when it's happening and then pull ourselves out of it so that we don't go sliding all the way back to where we started. Gosh, yeah. And, and building, changing really our chemical compound in our body, right? You know, gratitude has a different chemical compound than anger, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where you're talking about those small wins. Yeah. And so when you, you release dopamine instead of cortisol, dopamine is one of the three hormones that is required to actually shut off cortisol. And then it buffers out that fatigued feeling that we get when we're constantly getting adrenaline hits with stress. And so when we start to celebrate the wins and our body doesn't know, like that was an actual win versus, oh, she's celebrating a tiny win that's insignificant. Every win is significant if we choose to make it. Absolutely. So how does trauma play into this? How does trauma play into self-sabotage and the, the, the loop close of, uh, you know, this is like a groundhog day, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and ending up at a place I don't want to be. Yeah. So trauma is an interesting conversation because a lot of people have had trauma and don't recognize that they have trauma, which makes them even more susceptible to this loop of self-sabotage. And I know this because this was me for a really long time. So we tend to, especially with childhood trauma, look back on the experiences that we have and justify them. Oh, well, now that I'm a mother, now that I'm a father, I can see why my parents acted that way. Right. And it's not to say that your parents were terrible people or your grandparents or whoever the trauma came from were terrible people. They had their own stuff that they needed to work through. It doesn't justify their behavior. So, for me, for example, I was abused by my stepmom growing up. She was a domestic violence survivor. And so, for a long time, I used that to justify her behavior. Well, she was broken. And she was used to being abused. And I was a threat to this first nonviolent relationship she had been in. So, you know, she was in survival mode. So that's why she attacked me. I only experienced the abuse every second weekend. And it was only for a couple of years. It It wasn't like it was my whole life. Some people live in that every single day. Well, I got locked in curling with in closets and burned with curling irons, but it's not like she was beating me. I didn't have bruises or scars. She only left me on the side of the road for dead one time. Some people live in legitimate fear every single day. Right. And so I justified it for so many years of why I wasn't abused. And it wasn't until after uh, a super toxic relationship that ended, uh, I was living in Australia, so my family was still in Canada. I, on the day I found out I was pregnant, my I found out that he was actually not at the job interview he told me he was at, but he was in another state with his other girlfriend. My entire life fell apart. Then I lost the baby and it totally brought me to my knees to the point where I didn't want to live anymore. I considered stepping out in front of a taxi so that I wouldn't have to feel this pain. And I realized then that I had all this stuff that I was just trying to sweep under the carpet and justify. And so we have to first recognize that we can justify it all we want with our adult brains, but it wasn't us in this moment that experienced that trauma. It was the two-year-old or the the three-year-old or the 14-year-old. And so we have to recognize that to that age, what, what is it that those, the minds in those ages need? Well, between zero and seven, which is our most crucial phase for our imprinting and our development, we believe that mom and dad are everything. We need that masculine and feminine. And I know that, you know, some parents are single parents. And so there has to be a way that we can get a masculine influence and a feminine influence because they both play a different role for us. The feminine influence is to encourage and inspire us and our creativity. 
the masculine influences to validate us and help us find that significance and worth. And so we need both, right? We know from attachment theory, if there's not a nurturing, emotionally present mother, especially right after birth, that it has long lasting negative impacts on children. And so I want to, I want to stop you there for just a second. There's a lot of conversation about people, kids needing dads, Mm. right? I mean, as I grew up, I grew up in a very conservative religious situation. So it was all about like, uh, boys need boys or, you know, it's, it's always this real emphasis on, you know, kids need dads. And that is because of the expectation that the mom is already doing what she's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I really want to point out, and because a lot of the people are single moms that would listen to this, right? And we don't get enough credit for like what a nurturing, stable, healthy mother does for children, right? Yeah. And 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 what the legacy is, if I may, if you don't fix it and do those works on the next generation, just like you described, right? Yes. I mean, she, she didn't heal herself and it had long lasting effects. And I'm sure you, you sound like as if you've done a good job forgiving her and moving past that. And for those listening, for my ladies listening, how different would your story have been if she had, we can make the best of our stories, right? Mm -hmm. But what do we want our legacies to be for our own children? Yeah. Do I want my kids on a podcast one day saying, you know, my mom never got her SHIT together and off we get like that. That's my legacy now is now I have to recover from my mother. Like I I sure was bound and determined that would not be what my kids, I'm sure they'll have other things to say about me, but they will say that I did my healing work to the best that I could do. And the example I set for them was one of peace, stability, kindness, patience, most of the time. That good enough parenting, right? Not perfect yeah. parenting, but good enough parenting. No one ever says, you know, I'm in therapy now because I had such a well-adjusted, emotionally healthy mother. No one says it. No one says that. So, sorry, I have a lot of listeners yeah. who that, like, well, your story would have been like, <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and <laughs> so I, mean, I wanted to like, reemphasize that, Yeah. And just, just because I had the experience I have, it doesn't mean like I've worked with people who had trauma, who they, their parents were still together, but their parents wouldn't let them express negative emotions. Right. So how many people have ever experienced or heard, you know, the kids throwing a temper tantrum and they get told, just go into the other room and come back when you're happy. Well, that doesn't teach them how to deal with their emotions in a positive and productive way, it teaches them just how to suppress. And now they feel like it's not safe enough or they won't be loved or they won't be good enough if they have a negative emotion. And negative emotions, they're not this demonic thing. We don't need to demonize them. They exist to tell us something, right? Anger exists to tell us that we fell short on something. We didn't achieve what we wanted, that a boundary was crossed. And so we have to figure out, okay, how do we learn from this emotion, listen to the message it's giving us so that we can move forward. It could be that you had one parent who was emotionally unavailable. I've worked with kids who, um, there was one kid that I worked with Uh, He was about 13 when I worked with him and his mom would come home and treat him like a best friend and just dump all of her emotional baggage on him. And this is a 13 year old boy who has no idea, like he's not in the position to manage that. 
I've worked with kids who have had very low self-esteem and while consciously they know that their parent has to work a lot for them to have the latest iPhone and the coolest shoes and whatnot at school, unconsciously, they would give all of that up to have more time with the parent. Me, and so, oh yeah, I, I cut out for just a second, but yeah. So lately the parents, uh, they know they have to work to have the, the latest iPhone or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, you know, consciously, unconsciously, they would give all of that up just to have more time. And so it doesn't matter if your parents were never divorced. It doesn't matter, you know, if you were nobody ever laid a hand on you, that doesn't mean you didn't have trauma or some sort of neglect. And so we want to be aware that these can have long lasting. Now, obviously the more serious sides of trauma where there was any mental, sexual, or physical abuse, there's actually been studies. There's a really interesting study called the ACE study, A-C-E, that was done and it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's 10 questions. You answer these 10 questions, yes or no. And for every yes, you get one point. And they score you out of 10. Now, for anybody that answered four or above, so they got a score of four or above, they were more likely to be diagnosed with a learning disorder in school, including ADD and ADHD. So sometimes we have all these misdiagnoses where people are being diagnosed with this thing when really that's their coping strategy. There's a really great book called The Body Keeps Score, and it actually talks about how child neglect and child trauma is not recognized in the DSM-5. And so all these people are often misdiagnosed. Yeah, this-, this is, it, there's a lot of moms listening, maybe even deciding, should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I want to just jump in here very quickly and say, I know it's scary for you to be alone. I know it's scary for you to think about, you know, having to date again in your forties or create but there, there are some real long-term effects on children growing up in these homes with the adverse childhood experiences, right? You know, yeah. like best case scenario is two healthy, happy parents. The other options, you know, raising your kids in a situation where, you know, at least at 50% of the time they can feel safe and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And not be having adverse experiences and have a stable mom who in predictable consistency versus 100%. Because sometimes I hear people say, oh, I have to stay to keep my child safe. And it's like, but now there's no safe. It's 100% of time crazy. Like even when you're at least comment, right? Where it's like, well, at least I'll have to put up with this two weekends a month. You know, we have to really have to, as we have this conversation, and I hope this is not too hard of a conversation, but, but it's real for your children. That's their whole lives. And, and it's the lesson that's that we're teaching them as well, right? Like I learned from a young age um, because my mom didn't want my dad to have joint custody, but didn't want to keep going through the court battles. And so right, right. just kind of was like, okay, well, you know, we'll just make them happy. Mm-hmm. And so then for me, it became this, well, it's just easier to make other people happy than to make change, right? And this doesn't matter if you're staying in toxic. Say it again. (laughs) And and, like you staying in a job that you hate, right? If you're going to work this nine to five and you're coming home and complaining about it, but then telling your kids, you can be anything that you want, you're lying to them. Because if that was true for them, then you would be doing it. And it's like telling your kid not to smoke as you light up a cigarette. This whole like do as I say, not as I do. It right, doesn't right. And 
you know what? I get it. There's situations where you've got to put a roof over the head. You've got to put food on the table. Just be aware of how you're framing that up, right? Frame it up both in your mind and for your kids. This is the plan. We're going to do this to get to here. This is a, a means to an end and we're going to make change rather than, well, this is, you know, this is just as good as is it's ever going Life to happen. stuff. Yeah. Marriage is hard. Life's tough. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, and, um, the body keeps the score is so, is so fabulous on this subject, you know, because it really, our bodies do memorize those negative states and it's like uh, emotions and negative emotions get trapped in our body. Um, and just, I don't know. I, I hear so many people and they say, well, I have to stay for the kids and some people need to leave for the kids. Yeah. It's not, um, I had a client that came to work with me and they said they were in their thirties. It was a male and had been with his wife or his girlfriend for 13 years. And she was like, you're either going to wife me up or like, I'm going to move on to somebody who's, who's ready for that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I want you, you talk about how it would be nice to have kids, but then, you know, you're not taking any any steps towards that. And so he came to work with me and he said, you know, my parents slept in separate bedrooms and really this belief of like your, you get married and your sex life dies. It really comes from like that fifties household where you had two people getting married super young because that was the norm. You, you know, you're married in your early twenties and let's be honest before you really know who you are, because in your early twenties, you don't know. And they're either getting married for financial reasons or because their parents approve or because they're in young love for the first time. Get married. They have kids young. Then they realize they don't really like each other. They don't really have a whole lot in common. They figure out who they are and they don't have the similar interests. So the man goes to work, works hard all day, comes home, gets a little bit drunk in the evening. The mom stays home, does all the cleaning throughout the day also unhappy, unfulfilled because she has other dreams and aspirations that she's put on hold. They eventually start sleeping in separate rooms. There's never any affection or any signs of love between mom and dad, other than maybe a peck on the cheek and like, oh yeah, love you kind of thing. And people who grow up in these homes, they develop these belief systems of, well, that's what marriage looks like. Even if Jimmy down the street, their parents are like madly in love, that's not what you see most often. And so it creates this perception of, well, that's what marriage is. And for this client, he was like, I don't want to get married and become my dad. And he didn't realize that he could just not become his dad. But what he saw was, this is what it looks like to be a husband. And I don't want to be there. Or I've had women who are like, I don't really know if I want to have kids because to have kids, what I saw, right. is that I have to give up my entire life, right? And my kids come first in everything. And I can't have you know, it's like 18 years or 20 years, however, however many kids you have of not being able to do what I want. I, I don't really want that life. So I'm just, I'm too selfish. I've heard so many women say that I'm too selfish to have kids. I'm not ready to give up my freedom. I'm not ready to give up my dreams. So I just won't have kids. And it's because of what they saw growing up. And so we can, we can change that by showing them, you know what, sometimes you get into a relationship and it's great to start. And then things fall apart and that's okay. And we can leave. We can choose our own happiness and our own inner peace and fulfillment instead of staying for somebody else. 
instead of saying to make somebody else happy or to keep somebody else happy or so that we don't, you know, interrupt the kids' lives too much, they're going to see it. They're going to feel the tension. Energy doesn't lie. And the energy between two people who are not in love anymore or who are bickering all the time, even if you do it behind closed doors, your kids are going to pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love energy doesn't lie. I mean, the body doesn't, the body keeps the score and energy doesn't lie. You know, we have this whole belief, I think, and it probably is from our childhoods in some capacities. It's like, oh, we'll just fake it and it'll be fine. Fake it and it'll be fine. And it's like, was it? fine for you, you know, and, and statistically, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think, uh, there are like, to some extent, like good enough marriages, like are Mm -hmm. better for kids, you know, to just have a mom just like, I'm not happy now. And I'm out of this and I'm, I'm not happy now, but that's usually, it's very rare. You know, what I see is the mom who's like putting up with horrific things, uh, in like the hopes of giving her children, you know, in the, in her head, I think she calls it a staple home. But I don't think her kids would describe it as such. No. And I mean, in terms of like breaking the generational chains, that doesn't happen. And for me, before I healed my trauma and I was angry and I would just lash out at people the same way that I got lashed out at, I saw how generational trauma keeps getting passed on because I did it until I went and healed. And even now when something comes up and triggers me and I'm like, i you know, I lash out at somebody because we're not perfect. I lash out at somebody or I recognize it right away. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do some work so that I don't keep doing this. And that's the best example that we can set for kids is to say, you know, you don't, you're not, you're never going to be perfect. Perfectionism is a, you know, an unachievable goal. Mm -hmm. We can recognize, we can have the self-awareness that maybe we didn't respond to that situation the way that we wanted and we can go and make change and we can continue to get better. That if we don't like a situation, we can change it. That we and to model that for our kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. If if you will find yourself in a bad situation, you have the power to change it. Like, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, tell people where they can find you. Tell people a bit more, uh, about your, uh, your goodies, (laughs) right? Yes. So I do have a free Facebook group where I do weekly trainings with different mindset tips and tools and worksheets and whatnot. So you can join us there at www.successsecretsgroup.com. Otherwise, if you go to my website, there's plenty of freebies, other courses and things there that you can check out bluelotusmind.com. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Uh, Self-sabotage. And really, you know, sharing a bit of your story today to show why it's so important for us to do the work of our own healing to, so our kids don't have to do the healing work we should have done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge, huge. Thank you so much for helping uh, share your story to help others become toxic person proof. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know that there was something that you can take away to help you get past the past, get real about the present, or get serious about your future. And if I did my job, then hopefully it will help you with all three. If you are not in my Facebook group, Finding Love and Success After a Toxic Relationship, then consider this your personal invitation from me. I'm there live. There's tons of support. And most importantly, tons more information to help you on your journey to become toxic person proof.